Welcome to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. To learn more about hope and our weekend worship opportunities, visit HopeChurchMemphis.com. This week's stirring message. For those of y'all that haven't met me before, my name is Heather Strongmore. I am the college pastor here at Hope. So shout out to the college ministry. Thank you for repping. If I slip slip into pop culture references, that is why. (laughs) I'm sorry if not everyone knows them. Um, But it is so good to be back with y'all here at The Stirring. When I preached here last summer, the air conditioning inexplicably went out half an hour before the service. We were all sweating. We were deciding, like, are we going to meet in the lobby? What are we going to do? So I am thankful that on this weekend in particular, with the temperature being what it is, We can just vibe in here. We can chill for all our folks at home. Hope y'all are staying hydrated, chilling. It is good to be here together. So we are in our series called The Way, where we have been on a tour through some major locations and moments in the biblical story. And this weekend, we are wrapping up the tour in the region of Persia. If you know anything about music tours, The final show is usually extra good because the artist isn't trying to save anything in the tank for the rest of the tour. It's the last show, so they can just leave it all on the stage and they go all out. It's what in the biz we call a banger. And so I think that is exactly what we are doing with our tour through the Bible. We are ending on a banger with the book of Esther, which takes place in Persia. Esther is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It is bop after bop, no skips. Every chapter just has some wonderful things to share. It's one of the most interestingly written books of the Bible, in my opinion. And so I hope by the end of this weekend, you'll come to enjoy it as much as I do. And part of what makes Esther so compelling is the story itself, which is wonderful. And it's also the way the story is told, which I think is exceptional. It's kind of like how they make movies about real people called biopics, if you're into movies at all and they're historical, about historical figures, and not all biopics are created equal. Some are very interesting, and they're paced really well, and they're fascinating, and you're totally engrossed, and some are bone dry, (laughs) and you are just checking your watch halfway through the movie, and it's just kind of like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and it gets very dull. And so both of them are about true things, biopics that are really interesting, biopics that are boring. They're both about history and historical fact. So Esther is a historically factual book. And yet the way that it's compiled, the way the author put it together, is just super interesting. This is a biopic that they compiled really well. It is full of cliffhangers. It has Easter eggs. It has little moments that you think nothing of, and then they pop back up. It is just such a fascinating book. And so I'm going to take us through some of the highlights of it. I would encourage you, though, to go read it on your own at some point um, after our weekend together because it's just so rich. I can't possibly cover all of it. Now, here's what I'm hoping to do this evening is that I'm hoping to take us through a few of the key points of what does the book of Esther have to tell us about how God can speak to our lives when we are in seasons of struggle. Because a major theme of the book of Esther is reversal. We're going to see that unfold as we walk throughout the book. So much of the narrative draws out the ways things can start one way and everything is going wrong, or we can perceive ourselves a certain way and believe certain things about ourselves to be true. People in power think they have the upper hand and are in control. Things that are hidden may feel suppressed 
and we think, is this all it's gonna be? And then what can happen is God can change our stories in radical ways to turn them into the opposite of what we thought they would be. So Esther is very much a book for moments or seasons that feel hopeless. When we think all is lost and nothing will ever go right again, it's a reminder that God can move and rewrite our stories. Chronologically, Esther is the final book to be written in the Old Testament, which means it was the final book before what we as Christians call the intertestamental period, which is just the period of time between the end of the Old Testament and the birth of Christ. And that period is actually over 400 years. And so for over 400 years, the people experienced silence from God. They, there wasn't a prophet, they weren't getting new scripture, to them, they were hearing nothing. So they had the books that they already had been given. They were continuing to worship God, but there was silence during that time. And Pastor Eli shared with us earlier in the weekend that God is never overtly mentioned in the book of Esther. I think part of what God is doing through the way that the book is written is to prepare the people for that period of silence for the moments when they would feel like God had forgotten them or had abandoned them. So when they were feeling that way, they could look back at the experience of Esther in Persia and see that even when it seems like God is dormant or silent, he is still at work and still moving on our behalf to protect us. So it's a book about hope when all hope seems lost. So what can we do when it feels like God is distant or silent? How can we keep going when we encounter similar seasons like the people were and situations that make us maybe want to give up or walk away? Pastor Eli gave us a terrific summary of the book in his sermon this weekend, but in case you weren't there or didn't get to watch it online yet, you should go back and do that. I'll lay the groundwork for where we'll be diving in. So at the time of Esther, Persia was the global superpower. Their reach was huge. It spanned continents. And after the Jewish people at that time, they had come back from exile in Babylon, which was another superpower before Persia. So some of the people are back in Israel, living in the Promised Land, but a lot of them are living all throughout the Persian Empire. They are a scattered people. They are living as a diaspora. So they were a conquered people, which meant that they were considered second-class citizens and that their, their religion and their cultural expression was considered a liability that people would look down on if they were honest about it. So that's the moment that they're in. Cut to the king of the Persian Empire, Xerxes, who's on the hunt for a new queen. His old queen publicly stood up to him. And all the Persian men were like, we can't have that. Heaven forbid women should have autonomy. So they were like, she's gotta go. You have to get rid of this queen. And their idea, their brilliant idea for the king is to essentially host the first season of The Bachelor. <laughs> All ideas are recycled. We, we had, little did we know that ABC has just been ripping off Esther for the last 20 years. Um, but what they decide to do is, hey, bring, let's bring a bunch of women into the harem. You can get to know each of them and pick the one that you like best and that'll be the new queen. Here's the key difference, though, between our reality TV and this situation. 
In our context, women get to audition and decide if they want to go on the show. In this situation, beautiful women were just rounded up and brought to the harem for the king. So it's actually quite a dark and sinister event. It looks a lot like how we understand trafficking in our modern context. Esther is in an unwanted situation through no fault of her own, nothing that she has done intentionally. And she's been forcefully taken to be an object for a man in power. She's also an orphan, so she's being cared for, thankfully, by her uncle Mordecai. But she just has very little control or power in her culture. The best advice Mordecai can give her is to keep her Jewish identity a secret because it would work against her if they knew. But other than that, they are both helpless in this situation and at the mercy of other people. Esther does what she can by connecting with the eunuch in charge of the harem so that he'll watch out for her and give her advice. And Mordecai responds in a way that is so simple and so powerful. We see it in chapter 2. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. He has no power to get her out. He can't change what's happening. So he just shows up every day to check in and let her know he's nearby. And that's our first lesson tonight for our own lives. When all you can do is show up, then show up. If you're like Mordecai and you're supporting someone else who's struggling, you need to accept that you can't fix them and you can't fix what they're going through. But you being there for them day after day is the best thing you can do for them. You may hate that you can't do more, but don't underestimate the ministry of presence, of being there so they're not alone in their suffering. And if you're the one who's in Esther's shoes, who's dealing with some kind of struggle firsthand, also keep showing up. Withdrawing and isolating is never going to help. It may feel like the best way to deal with things in order to not burden other people, but it will only prolong things and make it worse in the long run. So keep showing up to church even when you don't feel like it. Stay connected to the people you have in your life and keep reaching out to God. If all you have to express is anger or confusion or grief, that's okay. Just be willing to be there like Mordecai to just walk back and forth and be in the area. There's tremendous power in the continual process of showing up. So chances are you may know where the story goes from there, Esther becomes queen. It is a dubious state of influence with such a fickle king, but for her, better than the alternative. And so after that, Mordecai, her uncle, overhears a plot to kill the king, and he relays it to Esther so she can warn the king. The plot is foiled, the event is recorded in the Chronicles of the King, but otherwise nothing special happens. This is the part that I mentioned that seems insignificant at the time, but is going to come into play later, spoiler alert. Tuck it in the back of your mind. And then something happens that really complicates things for them. Let's pick up in chapter 3. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than all of the other nobles. All the king's officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. 
But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. When the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So talk about an overreaction. Like, bro, I promise you it's not that deep. It is one guy. Calm down. But just the fact that one guy refused to bow down to him pushed him to genocide. Unnecessary. This guy is so petty. Mordecai was just out here trying to honor the Lord, practicing his religion, honoring Yahweh, and his one individual action is now threatening his entire nation and people. Most of us can't relate to something that extreme, but here's what a lot of us might relate to. Sometimes following God feels harder. Walking the straight and narrow can be hard. Standing out because of our beliefs and convictions and having biblical integrity can be hard. There are days when it feels like it would be easier to just go along to get along. Where we look around at people who aren't living for the Lord at all, and they seem to be doing fine, and we're over here struggling. This is why Jesus says that whoever wants to follow him must count the cost. The gift of salvation is free, and following Jesus is costly. It costs us our pride, our idols, our selfishness, our old habits, our greed. It costs us anything that's not from God. And the trade-off is that Jesus offers us life abundant. We get far more back from Jesus than anything that we can give up, both in this life and in the resurrection. But in the meantime, in that middle part of following Jesus, it can feel worse than just walking a path of disobedience and not caring. So if that has happened to you or is happening to you, it is okay, you're in good company. It's not unusual, it's not the end of the world. What Mordecai does can give us a good blueprint for how we can respond when those feelings come up. I don't know for sure what's going through his mind, but where else in the Old Testament have we seen exiles refusing to bow down to political leaders? In the book of Daniel, with the fiery furnace and the lion's den. Our last worship song was really perfectly picked for this, this topic, for this book. Those people in Babylon were in very similar situations where they experienced the protection and power of God when they refused to worship the idols of the nations and chose to worship God alone, to put their trust and their security and their safety in the hands of God alone. And the events of Esther and the events of Daniel are only about 100 to 150 years apart, and they occurred in neighboring regions. Babylon and Persia are pretty close to each other. So I bet that Mordecai was inspired by the legacy of his fellow exiles to follow the Lord wholeheartedly even when it seemingly made everything worse. So that's the second lesson I want to draw out for us today when we are in the midst of hardship. Remember God's past faithfulness to motivate today's obedience.
Mordecai had no idea what would happen before or after he resisted that societal pressure to give in. He had no idea if or how God would come through for them. But he knew God had come through for them in the past. And God says he always keeps his promises. And that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he took a risk to say yes to honoring the Lord, even when it felt like it made things worse. Because he knew that God honors us when we honor God. And we'll see by the end of the story, it is always worth it to follow Jesus, even when it doesn't feel like it in the moment. In the long run, we will never regret living for Christ. The alternative options are actually where the path of regret lies. But you'll never get down the road and look back and think, I should have followed Jesus less. You know, no one has ever said that. You would never think, ah, I wish I hadn't followed God so much. It's the opposite. You will always long to and follow the Lord. And no one has ever said, I wish I had followed God less. Keep going and keep giving God time to let the plan unfold in your life. So here's how Esther continues to unfold. Maybe you know the part of the story where Esther has to go before the king without being summoned, which means he could choose to execute her if he wants. That is the moment in Esther's hero's journey where she has to step out of hiding and be her true self and take a big risk, asking the king to stop the genocide without having a guarantee of what would happen. The Lord is with her. He, the king receives her into the court, and she invites the king and Haman to a special dinner party just for them. They come. The king gives her an opening and says, Esther, whatever you want, ask anything, and I'll give it to you. So this is her moment. This is her chance to make her big request. And she just asks them to come back again the next night for another dinner. And people have speculated about why she doesn't make her big ask, her petition at that time. If you've seen the VeggieTales version, I think they kind of get it wrong because they portray her as just being very scared and timid, and that's why she doesn't ask the king. And I think that she's showing great restraint and conviction because the way things happen after this makes it clear that God was nudging her to wait. And it is so hard to wait in the middle of an emergency when a lot of other people are depending on you and the pressure is on. But here's what is able to happen because Esther listens to her gut and waits another day. That night, the king can't sleep, so he orders for the chronicles of his reign to be brought to him and read. It's kind of the Old Testament version of scrolling back through your own social media feed. He wants his scrolls so he can scroll. So he's like, oh yes, that happened in my reign, and that happened in my reign, and that was really cool. And so as he's doing that, he sees the time when Mordecai saved his life. I told y'all it was going to come back up. And he's thinking, huh, nothing was ever done for that guy. I should really think about rewarding him for that time. He really did me a solid. And at that same moment, Haman also couldn't sleep because Mordecai lives in his brain rent-free and he couldn't get any rest because he was so worried and angry about Mordecai. So he comes into the court at that very moment. Striking coincidence. It's almost like God is at work. It's almost like God isn't letting them sleep because God's doing something. And here's what happens. The king is like, oh, perfect. Haman's here. Great. I need his advice. Bring him in. And so let's see their interaction in chapter 6. 
When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He rubbed Mordecai and led him on the horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. So this is such a moment where he must have been like, just gagged. He thinks that he is about to get a parade, and instead he inadvertently volunteered to throw a parade for his enemy. Not what he had in mind. It's just hilarious. God is very funny. And so this is what's important, though, for us, is to slow down in this narrative and pause in this moment of what's happening. We are so used to knowing the end of the story, so we jump ahead to the finale. But in that moment, Esther and Mordecai didn't know what was coming next. They're still in a place of crisis. If I'm Esther, I'm worrying all night if I did the right thing or if I just missed the chance for my whole people. If I'm Mordecai, I might actually be somewhat annoyed about the parade because he could be thinking, okay, God, this is cool, like this parade is nice, but this feels like we have bigger things to worry about. I feel like this isn't the most pressing thing at the moment. And he could kind of feel like it's a distraction, like, God, our huge problem is still out there. Why are we worrying about a parade right now? This is not the best use of our energy. Or that's how I would be anyway. <laughs> I'm telling on myself. Um, but this is our third lesson from Esther. Notice the big things, notice the small things, while the big things are still in process. Something as big and important as saving all of God's chosen people is going to take time and intricacy to do it right. This story will show us that God is extremely thorough to coordinate every detail and not waste anything that can culminate in a show of his power and deliverance. God is very deliberate. And in the meantime, that can be hard for us humans when we don't see the big picture, we don't see what's going on behind the scenes, all we see is the clock ticking and it feels like nothing's happening. I think God knows that and God is often kind and gracious to give us small victories and small-scale assurances so we know he's still working on our big problem. The parade for Mordecai isn't necessarily crucial for their final deliverance, but it's a moment to let them all know that God is powerful, God sees them and is working on it, and they can keep trusting and keep going while their big problem is in process. I would encourage us, try to notice more often the small ways God is caring for you. We can really wrestle with doubt and fear when we are in a big crisis, when something big and scary is looming on the horizon, feeling like while that situation is still out there, maybe God doesn't care, maybe God isn't moving fast enough, maybe we can't wait on him or trust in him. 
But it's the small acts of assurance that are meant to keep us grounded in the awareness of God's presence along the way. It can be things like a small financial boost while we're worrying about a big financial difficulty, or a friend reaching out at just the right time when we're dealing with our mental health or loneliness. Just having a good day when the majority of days have been bad. Take note of those small mercies and store them up in your mind and heart while you keep pressing into the big resolution. They're reminders for us that all is not lost. Sooner or later, with God's help, we'll get to the other side of our struggle. So what happens to Esther and Mordecai and the Jewish people? Y'all should definitely go read it because the twists and turns are next level. They are immaculate. I'll give you the really short summary which I think also encapsulates the theme of the entire book. So picking up in chapter 9, we read it earlier. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king, which was the edict to execute all the Jews, was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities in all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. The tables were turned. Literally every single thing that happened throughout the book of Esther that appeared to be working against them turned out to work in their favor. Every obstacle, every setback, Every form of fear and liability became sources of strength and power and joy for them. Everything that they had gone through finally made sense, and God transformed it into something that worked together for their good. Why did that happen? Because of our final lesson for today from the book of Esther, God has never abandoned the community of faith. God has never abandoned his people. He's never abandoned you in the past, and he is not going to start now. You definitely may have experienced periods of apparent silence, or certainly periods of pain and confusion. But the example we get from Esther is to know and believe that God is always working behind the scenes, even when he's not overtly visible. God has always been and will always continue to be with us and working on our behalf. A professor in grad school shared with my class that during World War II in the concentration camps, the book of Esther was banned. You can kind of imagine why. Obviously, it was too close to home for the Nazis and too empowering for the Jewish community. So they were scared of it and wanted to keep it out in order to keep their hold on power. But little did they know that many of the Jewish people had the book of Esther memorized. So they would recite it secretly to each other in the camps. Think about what new layers of power and meaning Esther takes on in that situation. As they recounted the story, they were recounting to each other, our people have been here before. We've been under tremendous threat and adversity before. It felt like everything was working against us before. And God has never let us be wiped out. God has never abandoned the community of faith. We may go through unspeakable trials. 
There may be times when we do lose everything. There may be seasons where it feels like God has fallen silent. But we are never abandoned. So keep showing up. Remember God's faithfulness in the past. Pay attention to the small assurances along the way. And keep going. Keep going and keep watching God's plan unfold in your life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you are a God who loves a good story, who tells a good story. That is true of your word, and that is true of our lives. Thank you that you call us into your very good story. Lord, for those of us tonight who are in a place of peace and joy and abundance, I pray that this would be a reminder of your goodness and how far you have brought us. For anyone that is feeling that sense of silence who might be feeling that sense of abandonment or struggle, Lord, would you please let the truth of your word sink deep into our minds and hearts. Root us in the reminder that you are always with us, that you are at work even when we can't see you, and that we can trust you to keep going. Be with us, Lord, for the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. I'm Daniel Openeisen, musical worship director. If you were encouraged by today's message, hit subscribe wherever you stream your podcast. To experience previous messages, videos, and our live worship service, visit our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.